And welcome back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. I'm Kevin Bowen. Back in studio here. Happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone out there. Hope they enjoyed it with family and uh, had a safe time as well. And wasn't the same for me, Chris Presley. You know, I woke up Sunday morning and just, I should be getting into the car. I should be packing the cooler. I should be heading down to 16th and Georgetown. But unfortunately, no Indy 500. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everything will go according to plan in August, though. But uh, all things considered, how was the uh, weekend for you? It was good. I mean, like you mentioned, not having the Indy 500 this year, at least during May, was was unique and, 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 and odd. But um, all things considered, everything went well. Everyone was safe. Thank you to the troops. Thank you for everyone who yes, yes. gives us that, that Monday off for, for all their service. But, but yeah, it will always come back this year. Looking back at the 2020 year, not having the Indy 500, people around around the country, friends of mine from college texting me, no race today is is odd, even for them. Yeah, for sure. There is, I feel like, a massive void even in the sports calendar. So there's only so much that uh, that the match could satisfy us with on Sunday, uh, with Tiger and Peyton and and Tom and uh, Phil Mickelson competing in that. So um, again, hope everyone had a great time over the weekend, and thanks for listening to last week's podcast and for chiming in on Chris's debut pod. Uh, it was fun being back in studio, and this will be how we will try and operate over the next few weeks we'll have a little bit of an intermission for uh for baby bowen to be born um but yeah we'll we'll try to get back into the tuesday morning um you know time slot for you but with uh the memorial day weekend we pushed it back a day so today's podcast we go over it obviously tons of twitter questions um i sent out a tweet early this morning this is wednesday morning when we are recording some of them we just won't get to we'll save those for next week so don't fret if you don't hear a question um, we, we'll hold those off um, to next week. But um, I did want to hit on a little bit of the Ryan Kelly extension talk. I know we touched on T.Y. Hilton last week, and um, I, I think Ryan Kelly is a guy that, honestly, if you didn't have the COVID aspect going on, I think it'd be a deal that would be a no-brainer to get done here o- over the next few weeks. So we'll we'll hit on that. And then for those that missed it on the website, um, I did a film breakdown on Jacob Eason. You know, looking back at his 2019 season with Washington, and and try to again dive a little bit deeper into exactly what the Colts are getting, what what is great, what needs work, um, where Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni and Marcus Brady, the quarterback, quarterbacks coach, where they can come into play with his um with his growth and development because that is an absolute must, especially when he's not uh, likely to get any sort of game reps. Um, so those will be kind of the two main topics that we get into before Twitter questions. Yeah, and and, and I, I'm interested. I read your article, as always. Ryan Kelly, I mean, he's the guy up front. You you want to build around the center. We were lo- so fortunate enough to have Jeff Saturday at yeah. the forefront of this offensive line for so many years here in Indy, and you know the relationship he had with Peyton Manning, how that drives the offense. Just, you know, just talk about – what Ryan Kelly means to this team and why we do need to lock him up at 27 years old. Yeah, you know, it was funny when uh, Frank Reich took the job in 2018, he remembers going to Chris Ballard and saying, Ryan Kelly's got to be an alpha for us. Like, he has got to be that dude. And think about the revolving door at center before Ryan Kelly was drafted in the first round. It was, you know, Samson Satele and A.Q. Shipley and... Uh, homeboy Mike McGlynn, I think, even got a look, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple's Jonathan Harrison, the undrafted kid out of Florida. Like, it, it was just the revolving door of Andrew Luck putting his hands on someone's butt, you know, every other week, seemingly. And you couldn't have that. And so, you know, 
Ryan Gregson wisely, smartly made the draft pick of Ryan Kelly, I think 18th overall back in 2016. Uh, but as Kelly is admitted, you know, he suffered the injury bug that second and third year mainly. I think he missed a total of 13 games. And I, what I like about Ryan Kelly, and I think what Frank Reich likes about him as well, is he is a blunt, honest human being. And, you know, Frank said, you know, something to the effect of like, when Ryan Kelly talks, you all kind of listen. He just has that sort of presence, that voice that um, he means business. And he's going to be very straightforward with you. And Ryan was that after the 2019 season or the 2018 season when he was like, okay, I've missed 13 games the past two years. I'm reaching the end of this rookie contract. I got to show up. I've got to make sure that I can be a durable guy for this football team because that's what Jeff Saturday was, right? you know, for all those years. And Kelly did that. You know, played 16 games last season, um, started all, all 16, obviously, and I just think it makes a lot of sense. And Kelly mentioned last week that his uh, agent, Jimmy Sexton, one of the mega agents in the NFL, um, has had talks with the Colts about a contract extension. Right now, he would play out that fifth-year team option. So think back to Malik Hooker didn't get the fifth-year team option for first-round picks. Ryan Kelly did get it. Um, and it just it makes sense to extend Kelly. I, I would think, again, I would think COVID would be the only reason that you don't because you're afraid of maybe what the cap situation will look like in 2021 and beyond. But still, I, I think that he makes the most sense to me of any of these guys we've talked about. Hilton, Marlon Mack, uh, like you said, he's only 27 years old. That is a bit old for the end of a rookie contract, but he's a freaking center. Right. Shit, I mean, centers can play until their mid-30s. So I, I see no reason why I wouldn't give him a four- or five-year deal and uh, make him one of the highest-paid centers in the NFL. He is a guy that... Um, I think in a Frank Reich offense, Morris put on the center's plate. You and Jacoby Brissett or Phillip Rivers or Andrew Luck, you've got to sit down with them and you formulate the progression plan, or I should say the pass protection plan of like, okay, we need to make the calls at the line of scrimmage. This is a one-two sort of setting. We do all this work and prep time throughout the course of the week. And, um, and Kelly just means a whole lot. And continuity means so much. You know, if you can sign Kelly, now all of a sudden you have all five of those starters signed through 2021. Right. And, I mean, they have preached continuity for years here. Colts fans know full well all the different combinations Andrew Luck played behind. Boy, it, it, it just checks so many boxes for me. I When they drafted Danny Pintner um, out of Ball State, it was interesting to me that they briefly mentioned Pinter potentially being a center. Mm-hmm. And so for a minute, I'm like, oh, God, is this Julian Blackman is the legit free safety and this is some writing on the wall? But I think, you know, he's more of just like, in a pinch, he can do it. He's never done it. He's never even played guard at the NFL level. But I think he's just more of, okay, that's your top backup. And potentially, you know, maybe when Mark Lewinsky's contract comes up after 2021, that's where he um, that's where he factors into things. So. Now, do you have any concern – with his quote talking about that he had, you know, he he obviously admitted, yes, I had some injuries earlier in my career. Right. And that he's still, quote, unquote, dealing with a few things. Or is that just telling of, that's just the average NFL player anymore. You're always going to have some bugs there. Yeah, I, I think it's more of that. You know, last year, I'm trying to think of the game. Was it Pittsburgh he got hurt in and he came out of that game? I, I think it might have been that. There's was, there was one game where he got banged up. So um, I think that's just kind of par for the course. Mm-hmm. 
So last year, all 16 games, his rookie year, I think he had 15. You know, he had the really bad concussion at the end of um, maybe 2017. And, I mean, that was like a you know month-long ordeal right. for him. Yeah. So I, I also think where it matters to me is two things with, with, with Kelly. First, going back to his bluntness, I love when he said last week, I felt like at times we were playing not to lose. Right. It's such a telling quote of, I felt like the Colts in the fourth quarter were like, four-corner offense, here we go, spread it out. There's no shot clock in, 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 in Indian high school basketball. We're good here. You know, like, I, I felt like it was that approach of like, just bleed, baby. Just yeah. bleed. Get me to the zeros. And... When you hear about we need more friction in the locker room, we meet you know guys that are going to press buttons on other guys and say like no 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 this is the standard. I think Ryan Kelly has a little bit of that. He to me he's the right mix of vocal leader but also action leader. He's not just going to talk just to talk, but he's going to give you a little bit more vocalness than maybe a Costanzo or even a Nelson. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's to me the reason why I would tr- cross this off the list if I were Chris Ballard. Because think about all the decisions you're about to make, or have to make. We've talked about this last week with 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 the Hilton debate. If you look at 22 starters, I could say 10 of them you're going to have to make some sort of move on or commit some sort of extension to. I mean, we're talking Rivers, Mac, Hilton, Trey Burton, Kelly obviously would 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 be in that mix as well. Justin Houston, Danico Autry, Grover Stewart, Anthony Walker, Darius Leonard needs the extension. Xavier Rhodes, Malik Hooker. I mean, <laughs> that's a long yeah, list. That is a very long list. You know, and those are some big names. Trey Burton, I guess, is on that list. I mean, those are some those are some meaningful names. Um, so I, I just think you know, cro- cross Kelly off it. Uh, would would make a lot of sense to me. Well, talking about decisions in the future, going back to the Rivers, obviously that then brings you to the man who potentially could be under center at some point in Jacob Eason. Yeah. And you have a you have a, an article up on 1075thefan.com right now that talks about a couple breakdowns of him. Let's talk about his arm. Yeah, and briefly, I, I want to toss this in before I mention his arm. For those of you that don't know Eason's story, which I think a lot of people do know it, you know, I mean, he's a, uh, if you follow college football, you probably have heard of Jacob Eason. You know, he's a five-star recruit, the can't-miss prospect, um, northern suburb out of Seattle, goes to Georgia, mm-hmm. and uh, starts right as a as a true freshman. I mean, 18-year-old in the SEC, yeah. you better hope you get a girlfriend early, man, because you're going to get exposed <laughs> real, real quick, real quick there. Um, but, you know, had a nice freshman season. Um, he, he early enrolled, um, then gets hurt in 2017. I think the opener Georgia had. Yep. And he got hurt, and Jake Fromm slid in there, and that was the end of it. That was the end of it. And he, he transferred back to Washington, um, sat out the 2018 season for transfer rules, played in 2019. So it gets back to what we talked about last week. The guy's got very little experience in games compared to drafted quarterbacks. He started for two years. That is on the low end right. of starting experience for guys we saw drafted last year. Um, his numbers for his four seasons, 
playing pretty much just two seasons, whereas followed 59.8% passer. Do you actually see those numbers up there? Rattle those off for us. 59.8%. 59. 59. Yeah. Uh, 5,590 yards, 7-point yards per attempt, 39 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. His teams were 17-10. and 10. They were. 17-10 and 10, um, in just four games with more than 300 yards. Yeah, and I, I found that maybe the most interesting. You know, you look at a lot of these drafted quarterbacks. I mean, Joe Burrow had four 300-yard games in one month. Right. You know, it's just... It, it, he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. Now, for a true freshman at Georgia, when you got that defense and those running backs, hell, I don't I don't blame you. You're not going to put a whole lot on, on his plate. Um, I maybe would have liked to have seen a little bit more at Washington last season of like, I'm the alpha, let's freaking go. This yeah. might be my only shot at it. And clearly it was. He decided to leave early. But, um, all right, let's dive into things. Like you said, the arm. I, it's it's uh, It's incredible. It is a it is a howitzer like cannon. I watched him attempt balls, complete balls, I should say, that the Colts didn't even try to attempt last season. And we're talking outside the numbers. We're talking deep down the sideline. Um, when 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 the pocket is clean and the progressions are minimal, Jacob Beeson puts the ball more often than not on the money. And I think he has great ball placement. You know, putting it in in his wide out tight end hands of and he didn't play with a great skill group. Did not I don't think any of them got no, they didn't. got got drafted. Um, you know, he gives those guys a little bit of chance after the ball. Um, there's some velocity to it. And I thought Frank Reich described it really well when Easton was drafted of like when you hear arm talent, I think we all hear like, oh, he can just chuck at seventy yards. Well no, no, like arm talent is a little bit more than that. Different arm angles when you're under pressure, um, you know, touch, uh, you know, different uh, heights to to balls, like all of those things, um, you know, makes you, I think, have elite arm talent. And Reich, you know, mentioned that of frozen ropes and changing speeds and like those sorts of things that that Eason has. Um, I know I, I know I've mentioned this before, but if you want to watch Jacob Eason and you want to be fall in love with him, go go watch BYU the first half. I mean, right there, you see why there was round one talk for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, and that to me stood out because that was one of the games that I watched. I probably watched six or seven games. That is his first road start. And, you know, Provo, that's no joke. You know, no. what else are you doing in Utah? Like, <laughs> you, 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 if you aren't skiing, you know, you're obviously cheering for your football team. And that was a hostile environment. And he went in there and played his ass off throughout that first half. And they got a convincing road win after he kind of struggled in his first a meaningful start. Mm-hmm. I think they played directional school like Eastern Washington to start the year. Then they played Cal in their own backyard. Right. And he, he struggled a bit against Cal. Uh, weather was was mediocre in that game, whatnot. I think they had a rain delay at one point. Um, but the arm, man, it just it, – it's uh, – like I said, when you watch the YouTube videos of him, it's like um, it's like seeing the home run hitter hit a bunch of bombs. It's seeing the great dunker. Like you can really fall in love with it. But I think what we talked about through the draft process is what can you teach? What can't you teach? You can't teach the arm. No, you you cannot. And these other things that we're gonna go go through with Eason, they are teachable. They are difficult. I'm not saying they're easy to teach, but they are more teachable in my mind 
than it is the arm. And I think today's game has evolved a bit. And feel free to disagree if you do. But when I look at Manning and Brady and Breeze, I don't think we talk about the howitzer of an arm. No. That's not like the first thing that we talk about with those guys. But when you talk Mahomes, that's frequently the first thing that you mention. Deshaun Watson, terrific arm. Like those are some of these younger quarterbacks, you know, Aaron Rodgers, great arm talent. I know he isn't, you know, of, he's obviously much closer to the Manning Breeze Brady aides and he has these younger guys. But um, that's where I think Eason falls into it. When he was at Georgia, I remember his freshman year that a lot of people, and because he was at Georgia, they compared him and hoped that he was a Matthew Stafford type right, of quarterback. Right, right, exactly. That's a that's a that's a great name to throw out there. Um, and I, I think that's what you're hoping for here. And you know, Stafford's had a really nice nice career individually. Uh, obviously, the wins and losses have not been there for the Lions, but from a statistical standpoint, you know, playing in Detroit's like playing in Cleveland. Right. You know, you just you just you just go there to burn a little bit. So, um, it is by far the best attribute that Eason has, and Fans are going to fall in love with him watching that. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's just hard not to like want to hug and want to want to want to just be like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. You know, I mean, it, that, back to the old Braves uh, famous commercial back in the nineties, chicks did the chicks did yes, the long ball. Yes. Like you, you love Josh Allen. I mean, people love the long ball. People love it. And like when you look, when you throw out those numbers, fifty nine percent, four games over three hundred yards, seventeen and ten is a cool. Like it's not crazy eye-popping so why why was there this obsession it's the arm and now it's okay that's the unteachable part can you teach the rest well talking about teaching and unteachable and 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 the the scouting that you've done looking at those games pre-snap command you know what what does that look like for him yeah and maybe I'm being a little bit too critical because obviously he started as a true freshman and then he was a one-year starter at Washington and Let's be honest, that was not just like hand him the starting job. He struggled, might be too harsh. It was a little bit more of a battle than I think many people expected for Washington going into last season from a quarterback competition. Um, I just saw a little bit more sideline stuff than I wanted to see. And what I mean by that is you're looking at the sideline and you're asking if it's okay. And, And again, I might be a little bit too harsh here, but and part of this is college football. I mean, you know, college football is, okay, uh, SpongeBob, Beyonce, Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump, and, you know, Fritos are all on a sign. Right. And, like, you know, you got to look at the head and it's like, boom, what what, what are you going to do? Um, selfishly, I just like a guy that's in a little bit more command of it. And maybe I'm a little biased because, you know, you grow up watching Peyton Manning and it's so much of that. But um, I want a guy that's like, I'll line you up. I'll make the checks. I know down and distance. I know game situations let me do my thing because it is a very think on your feet sort of position. And you have to make those quick adjustments, especially in Frank Reich's offense. Yeah. Cause you know, and Jacoby Brissett's not, he's not looking at the sideline. Like, I mean, he, he was in command last year. Like you are given a level of responsibility in Frank Reich's offense that you were not given in college. So I guess Jacob Eason better get used to it of like he, if you're going to be his QB, you have to make these sorts of decisions on your own. There will be some input and certainly a lot of stuff discussed throughout a week and in between series and things like that, but it is on you to do that. I felt like it was just like a holding of hand. 
a little bit too much. Yeah, and I, and, I, and obviously I know this isn't a baseball podcast, but do apples and oranges. There's a lot of teams in baseball that when they're drafting a catcher, they don't want a guy that looks over to the bullpen or or the dugout, I should yeah. say, every pitch. Hey, coach, what am I throwing yeah. here? Call your own they, game. Buster Posey. Right. I'm calling the game at Florida State. Th- this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I, I think that is spot on. And, and, and that's something that I I want to see a little bit more out of um, because you got to have that confidence. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone, all 10 of those guys in that huddle are, are, are looking at you. And if you need to go double-check things, are they going to question you? Right. That, that, that's my worry with the pre, pre-snap command stuff. And there's one thing, pre-snap, but then that also leads into when the ball is snapped and it's in your hands – Looking at the progressions, right? Because you can't look to the sideline at that point. No, no you got to be boy. looking. You got to yeah. be be looking at the field. And I love Frank Reich's take on taking things in chunks, as he said. Yeah, that is. I'm glad you brought that up. And this is kind of the 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 third takeaway that I had is, and Eason has admitted this himself. He's got to nail down his progressions a little bit, a little bit better. And, and Reich talked about this of the the term that you just used of chunking. And chunking is not some, like, innovative term that only the Colts use. I think it is pretty widely used around the NFL and, and really all levels of football. But what you're trying to do is break down the 11-man defense into chunks, into three or four sections. So you know if this section is doing this, the other section is probably mm-hmm. doing that. And obviously that can get into disguising, and the NFL is going to look a whole lot, a lot different than college. But that's what you're trying to just slow down post-snap how things look for you. And you don't have to identify all 11 players on the defense. Because if you do that, you know, you're, you're, you're just going to bang your head against the wall. Um, so I guess with Eason and just the whole progressions, it, it goes back to the arm thing. When things were simple and he had one read, maybe two reads, boom. It, it, it's it's great. It's really good. When it's second, third read, we're going to drop a lot into coverage. We're going to make you think, make you read us. That's where I saw a little bit of issue with him. Now, college offense, I think in general, are are a bit simpler. So usually it is quicker rhythm. Obviously, the Colts want to be quicker rhythm. But still, there is something to, to the point of, and this is kind of a juicy quarterback you know, phrase of like, can your eyes move the defense? Right. You know, can you do things to where you're looking here and – all of a sudden there is an open window and you can make that throw. And you have you have played that out in your hand. You are tricking the defense into that. Um, the one stat that I didn't love, Washington was great inside the red zone. Really good last year. I want to say they were like top 10 inside the red zone in all of college football. They were like, I want to say it was like 102 or something, 103 in third down offense. Yeah. And I mean, hell, there's only what? 102nd out of 130 teams. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that that ain't good. No. That And when I think of third down, to me, that's more of reading progressions. That's, okay, um, it's third and seven. They can bring heavy pressure. They might disguise coverage. Red zone, it's a little bit more, you know, congested in that there's so much, so much you can do mm-hmm. as a defense. There's so much, so much as a, of a field you can attack offensively. Whereas, you know, when it's third down, you've got pretty much the whole field as long as you're not in the red zone. So those are all things that I think he needs to work on. And this, to me, might be one of the – just one of the 
easier things for him to work on because you can do so much classroom work of like, all right, now I know when they're playing this defense, I go here with it. Mm-hmm. And it is a very sort of, these are our rules as a passing offense. These are our rules for our wideouts and tight ends to follow. That's how things go. I, I'm thinking back to the Oakland game last year. End of the Oakland game, Jacoby throws the pick six to end it. Um, Zach Pascal, I believe, was the intended target. You know, Pascal there doesn't run the right route. Or I shouldn't say doesn't run the right route, but his release there wasn't what it should have been against that coverage. And now there are rules of, like, Mm -hmm. he just broke a rule, you don't throw that ball. Now, Jacoby shouldn't have thrown it because the coverage was just sitting there. But, again, it's like this broken rule all of a sudden led to that sort of interception. You're going to learn all of this in a Frank Reich offense. And you want to talk about a money down, literally, third down, you convert those, the contracts get a little bit bigger. You've got to get that third down conversion. 100%. And the Colts, what, led the league, I want to say, with Andrew Luck in, in, in 2018 in third down. So, um, you know, <laughs> Frank Reich threw out the, the, the funny phrase of rookies can see ghosts. And yeah. obviously the Sam Darnold Monday Night Football, um, you know, sort of bit come, comes to that. Um, so that's what they're trying to eliminate with this whole chunking method. Right. Uh, and that, that just leads you into the pressure. I mean, the pressure of being a starting quarterback in the NFL, how can a guy who's played more or less two seasons, as you mentioned, right. handle that sort of pressure when his time does come? Yeah, and, and, and w- when we're talking pressure here, I, I legitimately am saying, like, blitzing pressure. Like, the, the, that's that's what it is to me. Um, you know, from a handling pressure standpoint, it, it's interesting. Eason was the five-star recruit. He played in the SEC. He went back and started for his hometown team. Like, you, you would like to think that he's been – he's felt some pressure on a relatively high stage. Has he been at Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow level in terms of getting to the Final Four? No, but, like – there's been some certainly some pressure from around him and, and some of the atmospheres that he's been thrown into. But again, it comes back to for me the blitzing pressure. He he has mentioned this before, Eason, that his footwork probably needs the most work in terms of like a fundamental physical aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think you I think you gotta clean that up. At times I'm watching him, I'm like, he just thinks the arm can make up for sloppy footwork. You know, it's like, oh, that's gonna save me. And it's like, ah, at Washington. Yeah, exactly. Not on Sundays at third and seven against the Baltimore Ravens defense or something like that. Yeah, that is that is a great point. And, and I often think back to the Andrew Luck quote when he came back from the Netherlands of like, I need to build from the base down. Like, that's what I need to do. Um, and that comes back to the footwork and just, you know, this is where the worry for me comes into play of like, does he need the game reps to truly fine-tune this? Yeah. You know, a red jersey in a practice setting is fine and well. Do you need the game reps? Um, so, yeah, that, that that's pretty much the whole breakdown. Um, in my opinion, he should have gone back to school because I think the game reps are just so valuable for him. Uh, but the Colts have got to develop the whole footwork, and then, and then it's mental. You know, it, it, it'll take work, but the arm is uh, – the arm is luscious. I mean, the arm is – the arm is um, unteachable, like I said. So uh, if you missed any of that, check that out on 107.5 The Fan. Jump into some Twitter questions. What do you say? Let's, let's do them. And, and again, for those, we had a ton of them. Some of them we probably won't get to. 
So we're going to hold off a little bit uh, uh, on those um, until uh, next week's podcast. But yeah, let's uh, let's uh, get get into. Yeah, as always, a lot of a lot of great questions, a lot of great feedback. Logan wants to know how many players on the Colts roster do you feel are currently at the top ten of their position? Oh wow, top ten whole league. I, I assume Logan's saying there. Um, well, Nelson Leonard, Costanzo Kelly. Buckner, Kenny Moore. Am I missing anybody? Marlon Mack, Fringe, T.Y. Hilton, if he's healthy, sure. Um, Jack Doyle, probably right on the fringe. Justin Houston, I'd say on the fringe. Yeah. I mean, that's nine guys. That's a yeah, yeah. That's a pretty yeah, good it, amount. And, and it, it is a good amount. The thing that I will continue to argue of, of with this roster is just that from 1 to 53, the depth has gotten so much better. Yeah. So much better. It's the impactful positions. Can all of a sudden you create a quarterback is on that list. A number one wideout is without question on that list. An elite pass rusher is on that list and is not the age of 31. And outside corners on that. You know, like those are some of the things where I think this roster has got to evolve. Yeah. And piggybacking off of that, uh, do you think Eberflus is on the hot seat at all? It seems to Chris, who asked this question, that three years in, the defense needs to improve quite a bit. He's heard that the three most important pieces to this defense is the will, the three-tech, and the nickel. But he, it seems that it's hard to improve much more from Leonard, Buckner, and more. He is right about that. I mean, the Colts finally feel like they have their triangle, if you will, in place with the three-technique, the will, and the nickel. Those are the hot spots of this defense. Um. Do I think Eberflus is on the hot seat at all? Boy, a little bit of a voice crack there to <laughs> get me going. Um, no, I don't. I don't get that vibe at all. Um, you know, I think our listeners know full well what I what I think of this defensive scheme. Um, but just internally, from what the Colts think, I I I don't get that vibe. You know, I I think go back and listen to Frank Reich last week, and there's an article up on one seven by the fan dot com about it. Um, in a notebook that I had of, you know, he feels like Eberflus has evolved a little bit more from a schematic standpoint. Um, what I have always thought was odd with this situation, Chris, is he was a Ballard hire. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the only Ballard hire, le- or I should say Ballard McDaniels hire. He- he's the only Ballard hire left. You know, Mike Fair is now in Carolina, and Gouge got fired after his first season as O line coach. So, like, is that awkward at all? Like, Frank Reich didn't make this hire. Like, what? I mean, if you're Frank Reich and you're going to let your defense be run by one human being, boy, that's a lot of responsibility. Because in this league, oftentimes you got one chance to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. And I, man, I would want to make that. You know, it's like the whole loyalty to the to the Ballard McDaniel's hires. I get it to a degree, but it's like, man, that's a lot of. Uh, Hey, here's your here's your most important hire that you're gonna make. Like you can't choose that. Um, if I'm a head coach, I might be like, oh god. Um, as a fan, I thought it spoke more to who he was as a man. For I mean, sure, and to, that- to, to keep for Frank to come in and still keep that person. Let me believe as a fan, the X's and O's. He knows his stuff. Yeah, and, and that and I get it, and that is great, and I will never question Frank Reich as a human being. I mean, that dude is a is a class A individual. Um, if I were Frank Reich, though, I'd just be kind of sleeping at night, being like, "Boy, I hope that guy's good." 
I mean, like, you didn't do any research on him. Sure, you've seen him a couple times in the uh, in the NFC East, but, like, he's a first-time coordinator, too. Yeah. It's not like you're hiring Wade Phillips, you know, or, or, or something like that. So, um, so yeah, the, the, those are just thoughts that, that run through my head. But, again, the personnel's finally in place. It is time for this defense to show up. And the back-to-back years of allowing just an insane completion percentage has got to cease. I mean, it, it has got to come to an end um so I don't get the vibe that he is on the hot seat internally but you know for what what it's worth the Kevin Bowen hot seat like it's time to freaking show up on that side of the ball yeah I'm tired tired of the excuses and the slow build and all of this like you've set NFL records in the worst way possible the last two years um it's time to end that well Josh wants to know with that young defense what's more likely that that defense and Rivers propel us to an AFC South win or victory, or that the Colts go seven and nine once again. Yeah, I'll say win the division. You know, seven and nine with this schedule, that would not be a good look. Not be a good no. look. So, um, yeah, I'll say win the division. Uh, going kind of to a question last week in terms of people coming to Indy, Brett wants to know he's going to come for the Indy game against the Packers. Do you think fans will be allowed into the stadium at any point in the season? If so. To what capacity? Oh, Brad, I mean, you're asking questions that... Uh, does anyone know the answer to? No. <laughs> Brad, I mean, Brad's one of our best. Um, so Packers game's late, right? Late November, I want to say it is. We, we pull up the schedule. Um, you know, I saw Iowa State, Jamie Pollard, their AD, announced earlier this week that what? They're going to allow 30,000, I think, to games. So at least that's what they think. They, yeah, like 20 to 25% to start. Yeah. Um, so what? If if the Colts can allow 30,000 to games, how does that look? And again, this is strictly conjecture. I have no freaking idea. Like, you know, the Bowen family's just trying to get a baby out <laughs> in a couple weeks, you know, and and and... That's where we're at, and hopefully no crazy news breaks, and come July 1, we'll have a clear answer. When, when, when is that? November 22nd. So that's late. Yeah. Um, and feel free, Chris, if you if you have any thoughts on this. My my general thought is this, and I get asked this on a daily basis by my neighbor, by my in-laws, by, you know, who, who, whoever. Can you fit 30,000, and can your season ticket holders occupy – I? Don't know off the top of my head how many season ticket holders that the Colts have, but you know how much do they occupy of that? Mm-hmm. And then do you throw some single-game tickets out there? And people are going to have to adjust. Right. You might have sat in Section 222, Row 12, and Seat 18 for Peyton for you know 15 years. <laughs> well, you know what? Like that, that might not happen. You might have to be moved a little bit. Right. So are you the – all the even seat season ticket holders get in the building for one game. And then week, whatever, three or four, whenever the Colts have their next home game, all the odd season ticket holders are in the building. I think I threw out the other day, like, even sections, odd sections. That that makes no sense because you have everyone in, in the section, literally in the building, um, which doesn't social distance very well. But can you do that? Even odd numbers. It's something a- I... I it's such a crapshoot. Like no one knows. No, no nobody one knows. knows. And until I think the the benefit that the NFL has is that if hockey does come back, if the NBA does come back, if baseball, which I don't think is coming back, comes back, they get the advantage of seeing how they do it, and they get to adjust. They get time. Like the NFL, this was 
this is a tremendous blessing because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Corona was probably a cesspool down in Miami during the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, I mean, it. you know, obviously it, 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 it spread big time even in the early parts of 2020 when we didn't know a whole lot about it. So, um, look, I, I, I'm as fascinated as anyone else. I have debated with my friends and maybe we'll be doing some radio here later in the week where um, we'll debate the whole NBA, you know, best case scenario for them and that. Brett, I wish I had a better answer. Um, Packers game, I mean, sure, I'll say 30,000 in the building, but maybe that's me trying to be optimistic. Garrett wants to know with the shortfall of the offseason preparation, how do you see the first half of the season going and what will be a telling record going into the second half of that season? Will you, will you rattle off the first, I guess, until the bye week? Read off those games for me. We got the Jets, the Bears, the Browns, the Bengals. Oh, I thought it was Jags to start off. Um, At I'm Jags. sorry, you're right, you're right. Jags, Vikings. At the Jaguars on the 13th of September. Okay. Vikings come here on the 20th. Then you got the Jets at back at Lucas Oil at Chicago. Um, and then you go to Cleveland. And then the Bengals come here. And I believe that's the bye week. So I got the Lions come out of the bye. Jags, Vikings, Jets, Bears, Browns, Bengals. So it's a, is that six or seven games? That is six games. Well, I would... <laughs> Boy, anything less than four and two, you probably feel like you're playing behind the eight ball, you know? Um, yeah, I and again, I think it's more of like, and I tried to drill this home, Joey and I, last year of saying, the Colts were five and two at the bye. Let's all pump the brakes. We we just watched this football team. Their, their point differential is not five and two point differential. I wrote a huge article about it, looked at past history with teams. Like, to me, record means a lot. But it's also telling of like how does that team look? Right. There can be different five and twos. There were different five and twos last year in the NFL at that time. So I don't want to like lock myself into a record, Garrett, with that. At four and two to me, that would be just kind of the the bottom. And let's be honest, I don't care if you play the Jaguars six times to start the year. You go five and one in the NFL, that's damn good. Like this is a tough league. So um I'll say four and two. But you know what? If they're three and three, and you know crazy fluky stuff happens in the losses, and I see dominant wins, I didn't see dominance from the Colts last year. I didn't see things that could last for the entire season, and obviously that ended up happening. Pierce wants to know an over/under question. Paris Campbell has three and a half receiving touchdowns this year. Let's go uh, receiving. I like how he threw that in there. Yeah, because you, know, you never know. He could be a returner, jet sweep guy. Yep. Um, boy, that's a good one, Pierce. Pierce, you're probably smart at your job. <laughs> Let's go over. J- just barely. Four. Four, maybe five. Um, But, yeah, that's a good one. Yuri has a, a question for us. Do you envision any regressions in any players or who might struggle in the schemes, and how can they overcome that? Hmm. Well, I mean, at this point, you would hope that you've drafted everyone for these schemes, considering your defense is year three and your offense is year three as well um I mean I've always worried about hooker in this scheme you know Anthony Walker a little bit but did we talk about Anthony Walker on last week's podcast kind of forget a little bit in terms of uh 
the defensive scheme. Yeah, in terms of, of, of players that were potentially drafted for Pagano's scheme right. instead of Ballard yeah. or instead of yeah. Uh, Wright. Yeah. Um, I like Walker. Again, I, I, I think he's a healthier Clayton Gathers. Um, you know, Walker, I've always worried about some of the corners. You know, Quincy would have been atop that list. Obviously, he's gone now, so not as much um, there. Offensively, I don't really think you get swallowed up in a scheme. I don't. I think Frank Reich is, you know, pretty innovative with that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I don't – no one is, like, crystal clear, Taekwon Lewis maybe, but I feel like you just kind of do this. If any player has been bad or, like, not lived up to expectations, you're kind of like, are they good scheme fits? You yeah. know, I feel like that's kind of like the popular thing to do. Got a question from Drew, who is also a Memphis native and a Vol fan. Drew, shout out to you. How about that? Love it. Um, he wanted to know with the Tiger and Peyton, if Tiger and Peyton Manning were on separate teams this past weekend, Kevin, who would you cheer for? Oh, a Tiger, Tiger. Yeah, no, zero questions asked. Tiger, I. <laughs> people, you guys have heard me. I got issues. <laughs> I got issues, and Tiger is atop the list. My my cheering in sports is kind of like, and don't get me wrong, without Peyton Manning, I don't have a job. Like yeah. <laughs> that's what Peyton has done for our city. So I, I don't want to lose sight of that. And and you know, huge and, and just love watching Peyton growing up and all of that. But uh, my my fandom at age thirty is um, Tiger Woods, Notre Dame basketball, Notre Dame football. Um, who I've drawn in my Indy five hundred Calcuttas. <laughs> who else I've probably thrown some money on, and that's about it. <laughs> that's and there's a steep drop off after that. It's just that's where my fandom is. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. But man, Peyton, Peyton hit some big shots. He did. His approach game is very good. Peyton was solid. You know, he was solid there. Brady looked like he just looked like won- me for the first six holes. Yeah, it looked like you wanted to curl up with Giselle in bed after that that start. Um, boy, Tiger looked good. Tiger was solid. So you're bidding on the cart. I would love to. <laughs> it, it, if I had that money, I know some Colts fans are pissed that the Colts weren't prominent, more prominently on the cart. Why don't they get the driver's side of the car? Why do the Broncos get the driver's side? Why isn't he wearing an Indiana hat? He's wearing a Colorado hat. That checkerboard looked real nice. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It did. It did. A uh, question from Joseph about special teams uh, in terms of Naheem Hines. How many touchdowns will he have on special teams this year? I mean, <laughs> you'd set the over-under at a half. Like, it's... I mean, you know, the Colts have had, you know, when Hines took it to the house last year in the punt return, it was the first time since 2012. It's hard. I mean, returns are dying. You don't you don't get a lot of chances anymore. So I'll say one, but, I mean, that's, yeah, that's probably on the high end. Do How much do the returns diminish this year with the new 4th and 15 rule? Oh, that is a good call. Yeah, we'll obviously see if that gets implemented. Um you know, I, I don't think you'll have teams go crazy with it. I don't. I, I think it'll be a very end-of-game situation. Like, even if you're the Chiefs, 4th and 15, that's a tough freaking down to convert. Yeah. And if you don't, you're giving the ball to the 25-yard line, and, you know, if you have penalties, I mean, think about that as well. I mean, that kills you. But I am a I am a fan of implementing 4th and 15. To me, it's like, it does two things for me, which should appease people on both sides of it. It's more entertaining, and it's a safer play. The outside kick ain't safe. Right. And you've tried to create this, you know, okay, you can only have five people on each side or whatever the number is, and there's no running starts. And so, like, the outside kick sucks. It is a 
it is a um, let's go get Indy 11's best player and see if you know they can bounce a ball that takes a weird bounce off a football shaped ball and right. whoever can just punch each other in the you know what underneath the pile. Hopefully we we can come out of there with it. Like that that sounds like it. That is a lucky bounce. Fourth and fifteen, it's a real play. Mm-hmm. It's an offense against a defense. It takes talent. I don't think the defense will be crazy winded like people think. You're going to have a break in TV in between the extra point and coming back to do the fourth and 15 play. So, again, entertainment, safety. That's Those are the two things that they discuss in those league meetings all the time. How can we be safer? How can we be more entertaining? Tell and, me if you disagree, but I think, I, I think fourth and 15 is just – a more entertaining play. And I give the NFL props because every time a rule is established or a potential rule comes comes into play, I always think that the NFL is already one of the most entertaining sports out there. How can it get even more entertaining? And they somehow find a way to throw a wrinkle in to keep us watching. Does that, you know, like moving the extra point back, was it earth-shattering? No. Does it make you now have to sit on the couch? Yeah. Especially if you're a Colts fan for a little longer? Yes, it does. So, I, I was, you know, Frank Reich, I think, was on with maybe Rich Eisen last week, and he said that he's open-minded to it, um, and he's interested in it, and he thinks the Colts could be good in that situation. Hello, Michael Pittman. Um, but he wasn't, like, as, like, totally gung-ho all-in on it as maybe you would think the aggressive-minded mm-hmm. Frank Reich. And you can only do it two times a game. So you got to think about that as well if you do get behind – it is a good way, and I would have to look up the whole percentages, but you know, I don't think fourth and fifteen. It's just going to be like, <laughs> it's not going to be like fifty percent. Hell, it's not going to be like thirty no. percent. Fourth and fifteen is hard. I don't care if you got Julio, Tyree Kill, and whoever else mm-hmm. as your wideout core. Got a question from Sobro. Another Packer question, actually. He's a loyal listener to the podcast. Um, Sobro. He wants to know which team is in a better quarterback situation, the Colts which in, with an aging but motivated Rivers and a decent backup, or the Packers with a pissed Aaron Rodgers who may be wanting to bail and a rookie backup? Uh, Packers. Zero questions at. I mean, like, <laughs> so, bro, I mean, I yeah, I, I know you're extremely loyal and I appreciate that, but is that even a question? I mean, I don't care. If Aaron Rodgers is pissed off, that, that like he's a pissed off, like, I'm going to prove everybody wrong, pissed off. And, who? okay, if Aaron Rodgers leaves after one year, here's your first-round pick that you throw into the fire and you go there. Like, they have a, sh- a short-term quarterback that's top five in the league and a potential long-term franchise quarterback. The Colts have a short-term quarter- quarterback that is, what, top 15 in the league? And no long-term answer. Right. I mean, may- I, I, I have maybe Jacob Eason, but, like, yeah, so to me, it's, I mean, sure, is it awkward? Maybe a little awkward, but, like, okay, if Rodgers says F you, then, okay, Jordan Love, here you go, and let's you know, see in game settings. If I'm a Packer fan, I'm more worried about who are these guys throwing the ball to. Right. Yeah, Devin Funches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, CW wants to know, talking about quarterbacks, when are they going to give up on the quote-unquote, we like Jacoby garbage? Um, you don't like him very much, clearly, he says, and deep down – he can't be thrilled with the situation. Is he just the coolest, hopeful starting quarterback in the NFL ever, or does something still have to give here? I CW, they haven't slammed the door shut on him. They they haven't. Um, and I don't know. Maybe teams are desperate for quarterbacks, and Reich's just like. I think Reich is a is a steady believer in a um, I should say a firm believer in having a steady backup quarterback. I think honestly, people Colts fans are more fed up with how much money 
Mm-hmm. He's making. I mean, I have no issue with Jacoby Brissett being your backup quarterback. It's it's the amount of money. That's where I think people have the issue. But you know, if Rivers blanks the bed this year and decides to go put on the headset in Alabama, I mean, are you going to go into next year with just Jacob Beeson on your roster? Do you try to resign Jacoby? Like, you know, how do you handle that? I think that's what they're thinking, just back of mind. Let's have the insurance policy in in place. Yash, who lives out in Denver, wants to know about sports facilities opening up. What's the word here in Indy? And also, are there any chance of the Colts reporting anytime soon? Well, what are we at? I think it's 75 people are allowed in the Colts complex. I think starting like this week, maybe, maybe last week it started. Okay. But, you know, no, no, no coaches. Players are allowed in if you're rehabbing. So the Kamoko Torres of the world, the Paris Campbells of the world, those guys can be in the building. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, coach is not allowed in. I know Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports you know, tweeted out yesterday or wrote the article on um, whatever it is. You know, maybe by the end of June they'll have a mini camp. It's like, you think NFL Players Association is going to sign off on that? I mean, that's the whole thing with this. The Players Association have they're going to play the leverage card hard, mm-hmm. and especially during a voluntary portion of the offseason. Are they really going to leave their families across the country and come in for three days of work without pads on? You know, I don't know if they see the meaning in that. So, yeah, I would be um, I'd be surprised if we see players in the building. I think I'd still be surprised if we saw players in the building in a full team setting in June. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that'll change. Hopefully it'll change, I guess, just because give us something. But um, I'd be a little bit surprised. I just think there are a few more hurdles to clear. Coaches aren't even in the building. Yeah. Coaches got to get in the building. Right. And then you got to implement a few players. I mean, do you just bring all 90 of them back at once? A little side note to that. I mean, going back to your article that's up on 1075thefan.com in terms of Jacob Eason and Frank Reich's comment, do you know or has it been discussed how often Frank Reich jumps into certain Zoom meetings with different, you know, the defense, the offense, different different quarterback room, running back room, whatever that may be. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. Um, I think primarily Reich is with the offense, but you know there is certainly he's got to have a team meeting yeah. at, at at some point. What I what I like of what Reich has done is he has mentioned, um, you know, he had Doc Rivers on. Mm-hmm. That was I think a Philip Rivers connection. Rivers and and Doc know each other from Southern California and that, and then uh, Reich knew Ray Allen. And they had Ray Allen speak. Like, it's those sorts of things of breaking up the whole monotony of it. You know, they talked yesterday about, you know, for five minutes to break up a meeting, we have guys play tic-tac-toe. Or, you know, just two guys. Like, Chris, you've been on Zoom calls. I've been on Zoom calls. I I taught a class at IU this past semester via Zoom for 95% of it. I mean, these kids looked at me. I don't even know if they made one emotional expression in the two hours they were on the Zoom. Like, people lose interest so quickly so on fast, Zoom. So fast. So you've got to do things that might be weird, quirky, attention span, something like that. Your message can get tired in person. It gets a whole lot more tired mm-hmm. over Zoom. So I, I think Reich's doing a really good job of trying to be innovative. Yes, I think primarily they're getting into position groups where it's only, you know, eight of them in a you know, in a in a room or something like that. And their position coach knows them pretty well. Um but I do think Reich's kind of diving in and out of various meetings. So that explains uh, a question that we have from Old Danner about the Colts 
um, relationship with Ray Allen and Doc Rivers because he was wondering about. Yeah, that. yeah, that is that, that that's that's where it is again. Doc knew Philip Rivers from, um, I guess San Diego, L.A. sort of thing, um, and then Frank Reich. I'm not sure where the Ray Allen connection was, but um, but yeah, that's how uh, that's how all of that is. I know Ballard's really close with Jeff Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if that would be something that that you would uh, you would go with. You know, Reich Reich did mention. I think Phil Jackson spoke with the Eagles. How does a Ballard Van Gundy connection happen? Houston. You know, Ballard used to be an area yeah, scout okay. with the Bears. He still lived in Texas at the time, and so I think a radio host introduced the two. Um, with that, and Reich said one thing they are trying to implement with their players is like visualization. Mm-hmm. Visualize not playing in front of fans. You know that, and again, that that's like a much more of a, um, you know, um, uh, psychology sort of coach think to it all. Like, but you know, that is something that they're trying to do a little bit more of here in the virtual setting. We're talking about Ballard with the uh, with the Bears. A little Mitchell Trubisky question here. Patrick wants to know with Rivers playing window being what it is, and Brissett being the de facto backup. Do you see Ballard? who's shown an interest in signing former high-round picks, giving a quarterback like Mitchell Trubisky, who's only 25, a chance, especially given that Frank Reich um, would be the guy that would mentor him. Ah, boy. <laughs> you know how I feel. I, I don't love any quarterback retreads. I'm a little worried about Trubisky's psyche, man. You know, number three overall pick, Mahomes and Watson in the same draft doing their thing, and you're just shitting the bed. Um, I, I'd rather get someone you've identified in the draft and you've developed on your own. Who knows? Maybe they love Trubisky coming out mm-hmm. and maybe they'd be all in on this and they think, okay, it can be Tannehill, you know, 2.0 of get him in a different environment. He he can be better, but, um, yeah, it is something to where I, I, I would probably not go there. I will say that something, you know, Reich mentioned this yesterday on, on the zoom call of, a reason why they were more aggressive this offseason was because of they know Rivers is 38. Mm-hmm. That and the roster patience of, like, you felt like you are in a good cap situation to where you could be more aggressive. Um, I would rather fall in love with a draft quarterback. Well, let's, let's stay in that draft class for a second here with a question from George. With all the uncertainty surrounding Malik Hooker, do you think it's possible that the Colts look at potentially trading for Jamal Adams and how do you think he makes a safety room better, if any? And we got several questions on this. So, you know, thank you for those sending in Jamal Adams. Chris, you will find this out uh, with this podcast. Anytime a player is rumored on the trade block or free agency, we get about five questions. Heck about yeah. It. You know, it's, especially a Jet. Come on. Exactly. That's a great point. Um, part of being a fan. So, uh, you know, isn't Jamal Adams more of a thumper? Isn't he kind of more of that physical safety? Yeah. So I don't. Whereas Hooker's the ball hawk, right? And I feel like the Colts want versatile and are starting to get more. And I mean, Adams a top ten pick for a reason. He's been really durable, unlike Hooker. Um, You'd be giving up more for Adams, certainly. You'd have to. I mean, Malik Hooker for Jamal Adams ain't happening straight up. And the money, like you just said, the money, mega contract. I mean, are you willing to pay that money? Does he want top safety money? With the guys that we still have to pay, I mean. Yes, it makes the defense better, but that's so much money. Agreed. Agreed. So, um, another thing is, I don't have this in front of me, but he has struggled, I want to say, taking away the ball. Jamal Adams, 
I don't think has had many interceptions in his NFL career. I mean, remember, Hooker's had seven picks in 34 games. And I just don't think Adams has been that sort of ball hawk of finding the ball. No, he has two career interceptions. And and how many games? He's the same draft class as Hooker. Um, I don't think he's, he hasn't missed many. No, I'm just right now just the quick the quick uh, searches on on snaps. Yeah, I mean, let's say he's played whatever. A lot more. He's he's in the backfield more than he is. For I sure, mean, he gets more yeah. sacks than he does interceptions. By yeah, field. he plays closer to the line of scrimmage, and maybe that's an in, in, intriguing chess piece. But um, you know, again, you'd have to give up a draft pick in my mind, something in the middleish rounds, maybe higher than that. You do that, you only have seven draft picks going to next year. Does that limit if you can trade up for a quarterback? What are my thoughts? Got a question here from Wyatt, a hypothetical. Assuming that Philip Rivers calls it quits after the 2020 season, the Packers, another Packer question, uh, shop Aaron Rodgers and Ballard deals deals his 2021 first rounder and maybe another to sweeten the deal to bring him to Indy to finish his career. Does Aaron Rodgers get to wear number 12? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Luck's number is not... Getting retired, folks. No, it's not in the rafters. No, I, I boy, I, I hate this because I feel like I'm trashing on Andrew Luck, and I, he's a great player. And but come on now, there, there's a level of a retired number. Did the Colts reach the Super Bowl with Andrew Luck? Is that Andrew Luck's fault? No, but not all on Andrew Luck certainly. But that doesn't mean all of a sudden here's the statue out front, and the jersey's never going to be worn again. Like, <laughs> I'd let him wear a Packer jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can wear purple for, for for every game for all I care. Um, yes, you would hand him number twelve, and you would say, Aaron Rodgers, here you go for the next four or five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin Drew has a question for us, wondering who do you think leads and snap percentage out of the wide receivers, the running backs, and let's throw in tight ends just for fun. Okay, um, I would assume Hilton. If he's healthy, still at wide out. Yeah, I just can't see Michael Pittman being a 95% snap guy from day one. Um, running backs is tough. Great debate. Really good debate. Man, I, um, it's pro- in Vegas, you probably get slightly better odds than Marlon Mack. I might be willing to bet on Jonathan Taylor. Maybe I'm going off of Taylor's durability in college, and Mac might miss you know those one or two games he seems to miss every mm-hmm. year in here in the NFL. Maybe Taylor now becomes that guy because the NFL is obviously more physical. Um, Jack Doyle for sure at tight ends. That's that, that's a no brainer. I mean, hell, he was out snapping Eric Ebron by thirty or forty a game. Rob wants to know how much of a role did getting hired late in the 2016 affect Ballard's 2017 draft picks? One could argue that because he didn't have his guys, quote-unquote, scouting, that might have led to bust. But aren't a lot of the current scouts holdovers from the Grixon era? Yeah, Rob, I feel like we get some form of this question every week, Chris, and it's just kind of like, like, are we just continually making excuses for what that 2017 draft was? Like, let's call it like it is. It was a horrific, horrific first four picks. Great news. Chris Ballard recovered like none other. Ryan Grixon never recovered from the 2013 draft. Never did. 2014, Jack Muhort decides to retire early. Dante Moncrief is up and down. Jonathan Newsom is up in Canada now. Like, there's nothing. And then 2014 draft, um, and obviously you have the Richardson draft pick 
you know, traded for as well. You know, Bjorn Werner was a bust in 2013. Uh, you move into 2015, Dorsett, John Smith, like, he just never recovered. Ballard did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, that's, you know, calling it like it is. Um, he did. He had pretty much all his area scouts in place. He really has kept a lot of his area scouts. It's more of the upper-level guys. Think of, like, the Ed Dodds of the world mm-hmm. and and those people. Um, so, yeah, it's. It, I feel like we can just kind of move on of, like, it was a awful, awful start to the draft. Had a nice end to it with Anthony Walker and Marlon Mack and Grover Stewart. And then 2018... You know, he traded back and absolutely knocked a home run out of the park. And you feel like there's some intrigue with, with, with 2019 as well. So, um, yeah, we don't we don't have to sit here and, again, sculpt the Chris Bauer statue tomorrow. Right. Like, the record is what your win-loss record is. It is a slow rebuild. And part of the reason why it's been a slow rebuild is because of the swing and the miss that happened in 2017 as well. Let's stick with uh, that draft class and Anthony Walker, as you mentioned. Shout-out to Brent, who's new to Twitter because he wanted to ask – this question so thank oh, you for listening how about that thank you brent i had a roommate named brent he was one of my favorite humans in the world <laughs> uncle diesel brent young uncle diesel yeah yeah <laughs> uh, uncle diesel I'm, could throw him back with I'm the best sh- of them i'm sure there's there's plenty of stories we can yeah. talk about off <laughs> off the podcast yeah, I was gonna say let's let's go there maybe howard stern podcast but uh he's writing wanting to know about bobby okariki potentially replacing anthony walker at the middle linebacker position is there anything stopping the colts from giving him a go at the Sam position next year. He would hate to see the Colts let such an outstanding player slash person hit free agency. You know, Brent, this is what I was talking about. I, I think it's a really good question. Um, I'm a big Anthony Walker fan. I get that he's a hair-limited athlete, athletically, but, Chris, there's something to his durability, his reliability, his smarts that I just I don't want to overlook. Um, you know, he led the team in tackles last year. Because he played every game. Right. Anthony or Darius Leonard didn't. You know, like, there is something to be said of just, like, like I mentioned earlier, he's a healthier Clayton Gathers. And I think the staff loves, and Darius Leonard's obsessed with them. I Dar- was going to say, they're best friends. Darius Leonard is obsessed with them. Um, now, the Sam position doesn't play a whole lot. You just don't. And a reason why you don't play the Sam a whole lot is because Kenny Moore is best suited in the nickel, in the slot. So you want to get Kenny Moore to his best spot. You know, it's all this kind of domino trickle-down effect. Um, I'm curious to see how this plays out, though. And you still have EJ Speed kind of waiting around. Mm-hmm. You know, Walker hey, Walker hears people. Walker, uh, he favorited my tweet last week about, you know, I mentioned Bobby Okariki coming and, you know, through Walker's name. I mean, the, Walker is a smart human. Yeah. He he hears the chirpers. Um, but Okariki needs snaps. He's got to get on the field. So I, I do not have a crystal clear answer on how this is going to play out. It's a nice problem to have. Um, inside linebackers don't get paid a whole lot. So I don't know. Maybe Walker won't have a huge market for him. But, um, yeah. I'll be curious to see how all this all this plays out. Kevin, in a 32-team league, the Colts have four of the top 40 cap-hitting players, as we mentioned last week on the podcast, and it's still and they still have around 20 million in cap space, which is crazy. How is that possible? Feels like either this team is not very talented, or Ballard is brilliant at building with talented value players. Which is more true? And that's from Rob. Yeah, Rob, that's a good question. And it is crazy, you know, when you look at that breakdown that we've talked about. I would say this. The Colts have, like, 
in the last, let's say, four off seasons, the Colts have not signed great players, great players to second contracts. Mm-hmm. Hilton Costanzo, that was done back in 2015. So, like, you haven't had this, here's your stud in the 2014 draft, and now he's up for a second contract, and here you go. It goes back to the Grigson thing of, like, these were where the issues were. So I think that is a a reason why. Um, and, I, and I go back to what I said earlier about the first question we had in, in Twitter questions. You don't have the dominant edge rusher, the dominant quarterback, the dominant wideout at age 27 that is going into his prime, like those like premium pain positions as well. Um, so I think that's how they have room. And the Colts have just had to overturn the roster with a lot of guys on rookie contracts. Yeah. And that that helps you out. So I continue to say the best thing is, you know, when you look at quarterback, you aren't, um, you know, you aren't tied contractually past the season to only Eason. You know, that that that, that is the good news. But I, I just can't go back to the question and say, you know, Ballard is brilliant until you start to see more of the win-loss mm-hmm. be into your direction. I, I really like a lot of the building that he's done, and, and the foundation, like I've said, I think is on much more firm ground, firmer ground, I should say, um, than it was in the previous regime, which I think is why a lot of people are so obsessed with it and, and love it. But this goes back to our Eberflus question of, if, if is he on the hot seat and whatnot? Like, it's time to go. Yeah, it, it, it is time to go. Um, and and it just yeah, just flat out needs to happen. Needs to happen. Gary wants to know with your history of obviously working with the Colts and your insight and the podcast and everything. How do the Colts manage the Adam Vinatieri situation and come out looking good when he wants to come back? You know, part of me, what Gary wants to say, who who care? Like, who cares if they look good? Like, this is the NFL. Yeah, you cut Peyton Manning. You've recovered from that. I, I don't know, some, some might say that they, that they haven't. But, you know, like, PR-wise, people get it. Just, hey, if you really want to get back a fan's flash-up uh, out of a highlight reel from last season and say, is this what you want again? Yeah. You know, like, now, can you? how do you do it cordially? Press release, Ursay has all the quotes. You don't do that for any other player. Ursay says, first about Hall of Famer, this, that, we love him. We just need to go into a different direction. Like, you can't have the press conference, really. I mean, I guess you could, but like, maybe Vinny just says, screw that. I don't want a press conference. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to keep on playing. You know, that's, that's something I think to keep on. But send the long press release out and, you know, looking again, the whole looking good thing is fans and people. Hate nothing more in football, college, NFL, than when the kicker screws up. Because everyone thinks it should be an easy, easy yeah. thing. Because we, we've been ingrained of like, oh, our extra points, those are easy. Or, you know, the field goals, those are easy. So when kickers screw up, people freak out. They should understand. And I think people do understand. I, I think we can look at this from a very mature standpoint of greatest kicker of all time, in my opinion, should be a first bout Hall of Famer. This ain't Hollywood. No. Send out the nice press release. Move on. Yeah, look at Rodrigo last year for Georgia, who's now part of the Colts, at least right. potentially, missing a, a kick against South Carolina to, to lose a game. I mean, they have so much pressure on them, and everyone forgets how many great kicks he made before right. that, 
you always remember those misses. You 100% do. It's just life of being a freaking kicker. Well, let's look to the future a little bit here with John's question. It looks like the intended big three will be Pittman as the big man, Paris Campbell as a speed and gadget guy, and Zach Paschal as a slippery route runner with T.Y. seeming, with T.Y. seeming poised to have a 1,000-yard receiving season. Is there any chance that any of these young guys could also get to 1,000 receiving yards this year? In other words, is anyone going to step up in a big way to help get some pressure off of T.Y.? Well, John, it is the age-old question. Um so he wants two over a thousand yards. Boy, that's you know that is a lot to ask. I can't I can't imagine the last time the Colts have had it. I'm gonna guess it hasn't been in the last decade. Um, you know Hilton's rookie season. I think he was a hair over 800, and, and Reggie had a Pro Bowl year. Um, but look, I I don't think you need to like have a guy. Th- Why not spread it out? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say you rush for two thousand yards. Hilton for a thousand. Michael Pittman for 700. Campbell for 600. Like, you know, something like that. Tight ends, you know, take whatever. I think you can spread it out. And, um, you know, we, we've talked about Campbell and you just being the more complete route runner and how important it is for him to stay healthy in practice settings and all those things. Um, you know, he's they feel like he's got a character trait that's similar to Hines. You know, we saw Hines back um, – you know, get over, I guess, the fumbles he had early on in his career. Can, you know, Hines, or excuse me, can Campbell do that as well, of high, having a high character, bouncing back? Obviously, Hines didn't have the injuries that that uh, that Campbell had. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I'm just going back to the, the Phillip Rivers aspect with the way that he likes to throw the ball to tight ends. He had obviously two very good running backs last year. Keenan Allen... Yeah, I, I, I thousand, didn't even mention running backs. Yeah, now in a thousand yards, Mike Williams, one thousand and one yards. So if they do get two over a thousand, it would be very, very small. Yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk by any means. I know some people are obsessed with numbers. I think Pittman has kind of warned people that he might be changing his number. He's 86 for now. I think he's mentioned that something in the teens or you know in those kind of 10 to 12 range, if that were to come available, he might be willing to do that. So thought I'd throw that in there. Scotty's got a question. He's been to three Colts games, each of them losses, at the Dolphins in 01, the infamous Patriots game in 2015, and the Jaguars in 17. Which home game do you think he should go to this year, or should he just stay at home? Oh, Scotty, you got to stay at home. I mean, <laughs> boy. Yeah, you went to the Patriots game in 2015. That's that's um that's a freaking fake punt game. <laughs> yeah, I thought you probably should have self banned yourself then. And then the Jaguars in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, that the Colts got shut out that day. That was when Jacoby was sacked ten times. Scotty, I I, I think you got to self ban yourself. And if you're not, I think the metal detector might go off when when you come through Lucas Oil next time. I I, I hate to say it. Yeah, I, th- I think looking at the schedule, you either come to the Jets game or the Jaguars game. But yeah, you might. That, I was going to say, you know, Colts lost the Dolphins at home last year, Scotty. I thought you were going to say you were in the building for that one. <laughs> um, you might need to save, Scotty, save yourself for a tank season. Save yourself for uh, end of the season when uh, when you need to improve the whole the whole draft position. So, uh, <laughs> damn, that's a that's quite the run, Scotty. Yeah, come, come get a cheaper ticket another year. Yeah, yeah, boy. Oof. Is that it, man? That's all. That's all we got for Twitter questions this week. Awesome. Like I said, for any of you that missed um, 
that, that we didn't get to your Twitter question, we'll uh, we'll save those for next week's podcast. And uh, as always, 1075thefan.com, plenty of written content up there on the site this week. Jacob Eason Film Recap. Just post something on Kamoko Ture. I know a lot of people are intrigued by, by him. Um, we might touch on him on next week's podcast a little bit more. And, uh, yeah, man, as long as Baby Bone doesn't come this week, 38 weeks today, we will uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. Love it. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everyone have a great rest of your week. Great weekend as well. And we'll be back next week on Kevin's Corner.